All right, well, we wanna continue this series. Uh, we've been talking throughout the year about our core values that are right behind us, and we're on to transformation. And when we talk about transformation, we don't just wanna talk about one aspect of it, but actually the whole um, topic of transformation, where it's um, not just physical and mental, but also spiritual, emotional. There's full, this is a full stuff talk. I mean, we could talk about this topic for years, um, really, because when we encounter Christ, immediately transformation happens and transformation continues to happen. There's a sanctification process that is going on within all of us, not just me. Surprise, surprise, but I'm not perfect yet. Um, yeah, yeah, I know, it's, it's crazy. Um, and so, you, you know, I, I just uh, often am working uh, within our community and working uh, within my family so that God would continue to sanctify me as well. And so uh, last week we talked about sanctification, excuse me, transformation in the context of community. And I kind of wanted to continue on that topic today because community is so important and integral in, in how we develop. And I believe that uh, healthiness is uh, in context of community. I don't know many people at all who live a, a total life of isolation and are healthy. Um, God did not create us to be alone. He created us to be together in relationship. Uh, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. What did he do? He created a helpmate. He created women to, so that they can walk hand in hand and, uh, and be together. And in that same context, he didn't create you to be by yourself. Um, no matter what the world tells you, we are supposed to be in community. And, um, and so I'm gonna read from a different text this morning than I did last week. Um, and I wanna talk about, uh, I'm gonna read, it's a, a larger text because I want us to get the full context of the text and not just read one or two verses. So we're gonna start with Colossians 3, one through 14. This is in the ESV. It'll be on the screen, thank you. And uh, you can also look it up on your phones. So if we start with chapter three, verse one, it says, if you have been raised with Christ, this is people who are saved, who know Jesus, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So, so seek, look towards things that are above where Christ is. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions. These are not just passions like I have a passion, but these are passions of the flesh. Evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, these things aren't just bad within and of themselves. They actually destroy you. They're not just evil, but they're also destroying of your own life. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, including anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices." and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is, not, 
Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarians, Scythian, which is a, 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 the people of Scythia from there, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay, here we go, verse 13 and 14. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, you also must forgive. And above all, put these, put, and above all, these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This is so key in communal living. Not only are we giving up of the things that we've been walking in when we were in the world, things that destroyed us and our community, but now in community, we love one another in perfect harmony. We bear one another's burdens. We forgive one another when Pastor Paul offends you or when you offend one another. We go, hey, I'm, I know they're not perfect and I'm gonna release the debt that I feel they owe me. They no longer owe me this debt because Christ has forgiven me of all my debts. I am now gonna forgive this person of their debt and not only that, I'll continue to be in relationship with them. What does that mean? That means that you will uh, continually work together. You'll continually pour into their life. It does not mean that people who hurt you and people who take advantage of you and people who abuse you, it does not mean that you give them full access again. That's not what we're talking about. Actually, people who abuse people will, will use these scriptures to say that you need to give me full access no matter how many times I've hurt you or, or abused you. No, 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 no. That's not godly. That's not kingdom. But, but what is, is holding people accountable. Oftentimes in uh, a culture of church or Christian uh, thinking, they, people think, well, if, if uh, uh, people are unhealthy, we just need to accept them and let them do what they want in, in context of our community. Well, that's not actually the case. What actually is the case is that we accept everyone, no matter how unhealthy they are, but we continually challenge them to become healthy. We challenge each other to become healthy. Because not all of us are totally healthy. We trust God to work on ourselves as we submit our lives to him, but then also we trust one another to speak into one another's life. And if someone tells me about something that I'm unsure about that they say is unhealthy in my life, I'm just not sure, then I go to someone else. I say, do you see this as well? You know, we, 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 as iron sharpens iron, we too will uh, sharpen each other. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 this is talk about gathering. What does community do? We gather, we come together, we, we, we assemble. It says this, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. See, even back in the day, in the time of this writing, this biblical passage, people struggled to meet sometimes. They got into the habit of not gathering, but instead encourage one another. And as the more of, and, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, you know, I, a big business nowadays, and, and, and it's big on YouTube and big in different uh, media sets and, and media programs is, 
is this idea of self-help. Have you heard this term before? Self-help books, self-help videos, and, and honestly, it's like a billion-dollar industry. The reason it's a billion-dollar industry is because they never really end up helping. So you get another one, because maybe they have just the right angle to do it. And of course, we need to work on ourselves. Of course, we need to, you know, challenge ourselves. And some of these materials and resources do have an advantage. But honestly, self-help is not the way for restoration. It's more like group help. It's more like actually speaking into one another's lives. Actually, some of the, one of the best recovery programs of all time that was based in Christianity, uh, created by a Christian, is something called Alcoholics Anonymous with a, with a step program. But you know, the key to it is not the steps in, in, in and of themselves. One of the key things is you have to go to the meetings. You have to gather. You have to come together. You have to actually admit that you have problems in certain areas of your life. You know, James talks about this. James says this funny verse. I don't know the address by heart, so I apologize. But he says this. You can Google it later. He says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. That's weird. James, James walked with Jesus. Who, why would you need to confess your sins to anyone when you can confess your sins to God? He's the one who forgives them. He's the one who actually gives you the remission of your sins. His atoning sacrifice makes you clean, makes you whole. He says, yes, you no longer owe me this debt, Paul, because you've come to me, you've repented, and I'm going to forgive you because you confessed it to me. That's, that's totally biblical. But James has this other understanding that it's not just good enough to confess to God because he's the only one who actually can forgive your sins, like, like in, an, in an atoning way. But there's a healing aspect that will never come to you unless you confess to your brother and sister. You'll always be lacking a certain aspect of healing until you confess to someone else. Now, I'm not saying that you should confess to the town gossip. Not very wise. Because then everyone will know. So obviously these need to be trustworthy people of good character that you've walked with and had relationship with. But one of the things that I realized, just this is in my own life, is that when I confess my sin to the people in my life who I trust, who are godly and loving, when I confess my brokenness, when I confess my struggles, it's like I hear it for the first time. I hear myself talking. And I'm like, Oh, I'm messed up. Now, I don't want to get you all worried. I'm not that messed up. <laughs> but for years I was. For years I was a broken mess. Actually, my biological brother, he's seven years older than me. He walked through a ton of healing. He walked through group therapy. He, was, he, he did some real hard work, and, and man, it paid off. And he, he was living in California at the time with his wife. God told him to move back to the East Coast. He moved back to the East Coast, and I believe God sent him for me. Paul, he said, Paul, uh, I need a job, and I worked in management at Verizon, and I was able to get him a job. Actually, I gave him all the interview questions, set up the person who was going to interview him. I cheated. 
told them how to answer. Man, we had lawyers come and apply at this job, and there was a certain personality quiz you had to take, and it, they were so strict with it, it was kind of stupid, but it, if they failed the personality test, they wouldn't let them interview. But I helped him out. And come to find out, he was one of our worst employees ever. They fired him not too long after I left. But paid for his insurance and... Um, but one of the things we did, it was a 45-minute drive away from our house, and so uh, I would pick him up, and we would carpool, and I was going through some tragic stuff in my life, and I was a broken mess, but I thought I was fine. I thought I could handle it. And my brother, he noticed my lifestyle after years of being in California, going through healing and now coming back, and he started doing inner healing in my life without me really even noticing. He started asking me some probing questions, and I would hear my own answers, and he'd say, do you really think that's healthy? And then I'd have to come up with this explanation. But what was happening was I was confessing my sin one to another. And even though Jesus would have forgiven me, and he did, I wasn't healed yet until I talked to him. You know, we are, some of us are walking around struggling privately, quietly, in our own world in sin and we don't know how to get out of it we're struggling in brokenness we don't know how to get out of it and our answer is right next to us because we can talk to one another about it now listen build some relationship before you start vomiting on somebody okay don't be weird Go over their house. Invite them over your house. Or have that anointing where you say, I'm coming over your house. As Vinny said a few weeks ago. Build community. There's so many things that we can offer as a church. And, and, and honestly, this is a sneak peek of where we're going in 2023. And, and, and we're going to work on building community. But I'm, listen, churches that get larger... They have a few you know, uh, options. They, they can hire more and more and more pastors and they can start these programs where everyone attends and then leaves. And, and yes, they help and there's some discipleship that happens in there. But the reality is, is that true discipleship and true healing and true walking together, hand in hand, foot in foot, like foot by foot, whatever that's called, walking together doesn't happen unless we go over each other's houses. Unless we invite a bunch of people over and just, just live life and have fun. It doesn't always have to be a, you know, a praise and worship time and a time studying. It doesn't have to look like what we do here on Sunday morning. Sometimes healing happens by just laughing together <laughs> and having some good time. As long as it's holy and acceptable and, it, you know, you're not doing anything that Christ wouldn't do. He did hang out with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes. So he must have been a good time. But in a healthy way. So let's not only or solely rely on self-help anything. Let's renew our thinking. Let's challenge ourselves. Let the Holy Spirit guide you into group help. Community. Sharpening one another. I, uh, 
I had experienced in uh, growing up uh, a friend of mine who was an Orthodox Jew. Orthodox Jews are strict to the book. They, they not only live by the Torah, uh, which is, we find in our Bible, but they also have other uh, uh, religious texts that they read and study. And they also um, uh, keep the tradition of their Jewish heritage in a very strict manner. Um, and there's different levels of Judaism. Um, some are reformed, some are progressive, some are, you know, um, it kind of looks like church um, and like a, like a Christian church, but a Jewish version of it uh, called Lubavitch. And, um, and so I, I, I had been, I have known this person since I was 16 years old and wonderful man, it really helped uh, uh, me in, in times of need as well and became very good friends and I would go to some of the meetings every every night they would have they would get together the men would get together it was called a minion and it'd be at least 10 men getting together to uh, fellowship and worship um, I've been to many Jewish uh, meals and uh, and and doing the Sabbath together on Friday night and all that stuff and it was interesting they would have like different rules that applied to them it didn't apply to people who weren't Jewish and as much as my friend would love for me to convert to Judaism, he would have. He wasn't allowed to proselytize. It was out, outside their culture. So he, he would just tell me how great it was. But, um, you know, there were some things like once the sun went down, they weren't allowed to start a, a fire or a connection and, uh, or turn things off. And, and, and most of their things were on timers by this point. But I remember um, being with him one Friday night, and it was when the sun went down and this, this kind of rule started. And he, he couldn't tell me to turn the light on, but he would say something like, if you wanted to turn that light on, Paul, you could. No, I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying if you wanted to turn it on, you could. So I would turn, turn on the light. Funny. But I remember one time getting very sick on a, uh, on a Sunday. Um, I had this crazy, weird, I know it sounds gross, it was years ago, I don't have it anymore, but I had a crazy, weird rash that broke out on my body and didn't understand it, and um, uh, what's, what do they call it, um, when you Google things, uh, med something, um, made me like freak out, like, oh my gosh, I'm dying, and, uh, and my friend, he owned a pharmacy, uh, this uh, person who's Orthodox Jew, and, and actually, the, he was such a, he is such a, an amazing person, a very giving person, and, um, and you wouldn't know he was very well-to-do because he just didn't show it, but he gave to charities all the time. And he was the one who told me, Paul, the greatest thing, one of the, they call these charitable things mitzvahs. He said, one of the greatest things you could ever do for somebody, one of the greatest mitzvahs you could actually give somebody is to help bury them. And I said, why is that? He said, because they could never pay you back. There's, there's absolutely no agenda. I said, wow, it's, it's amazing. But um, I remember having this horrible rash, and I called him, and I said, what do I do? And he said, oh, man, hold on, you know, because I couldn't get a hold of any doctors. I'm not going to go to the ER and didn't have insurance at the time. And so he, he called me back. He said, go to this address. He, I go to this address, and it's a, another Orthodox Jew who's a doctor. I just walk into this, his house, and he's examining me in his kitchen. He writes me a prescription, then I go and call my friend who owns a pharmacy, and he gets me some medicine. I've needed lawyers, and he would, it was like they have this such strong community and a structure of community that they can rely on each other for anything. And it was really fantastic to see. 
See, true joy is giving. Living a life for someone else is way better than living for yourself. And the world will try to tell you, I mean, now that we have all these devices and screens are wonderful in some ways, but they're also a curse in some ways because your brain will just go for this dopamine hit rather than doing the hard work of reaching out to someone. Uh, I, I am from Pennsylvania. I have to show you this. I'm from Pennsylvania, and uh, one of the crazy, amazing communities that you'll see out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which was close to where I was living, was the Amish. The Amish are really amazing. They, uh, there's actually different levels of Amish and Mennonite. Uh, you know, there's some that are horse and buggy, and then they kind of gradually uh, get to a certain type of reformed living. Um, and they have very strict rules, you know, like no electricity and no tools. And, um, but even those rules, as you find in a religious context, when you just make rules, guess what people learn how to do? Work around the rules, right? You're not technically breaking it. And uh, if you, if uh, so, sometimes you'll see Amish uh, drive, driving, in, riding in a car. And as long as it's not their car, and as long as the car they hired, and they're not driving, so they hire drivers to drive them around. Not all of them, a lot do. I remember uh, one one businessman in uh, in Lancaster County. Uh, he's Amish and. He, was, he had a, a business with a building and there was air conditioning in it and there was computers with people on the computer that were Amish. And the Amish bishop like busts in and says, hey, what's going on here? This, what are you doing? You're not allowed to do this. And, and the Amish uh, owner said, oh, wait, this is, I have a business partner. I don't own the air conditioning and I don't own the computers. That's my business partner who's not Amish. Very funny how some of these things work. However, one of the most amazing things you could ever see the Amish do is something called a barn raising. A barn raising is something they do within just one day's work, the whole community will come together. One of the, one of the videos I saw that I do wanna show you real quick is when they had, they call it, this is the video I'm about to show you is called a, an Amish shed, but it's really as big as a barn. Um, and they had to move it. Now, if I had to do that, I'd have to think about how I would deconstruct this shed or barn and get people to reassemble. It would take me a month, but this is how the Amish do it. Why don't you show the first video? There is an unrealistic amount of people inside that barn. And if you continue to watch, I don't want you to look at the barn, I want you to look at the feet underneath it. There's hundreds of people in there, and uh, this goes on for at least a minute, but I just want you to see as they turn. Now, you're not, they, they're not allowed to get photographed, but these are people who see this happening, so they... He's catching all the legs. Now there's people guiding them, but there's people in the back who have no idea where they're going. It's like a centipede. Really a sight to see. I don't know if you see the back there. Now, 
if you know anything about the Amish culture, you're not allowed to, um, they don't have the boys um, helping them on projects. They have to be at least 14 years old, which is like a boy. <laughs> um, this next video I wanted to show you is just, just an idea of what it, like, what it looks like to live in such a tight community. Um, this uh, gentleman, his uh, Amish gentleman, his barn caught fire and burnt down. The next day, it's called a barn builder, shows up at his house, and they plan it out. They, they plan out how much, how much trees to harvest. They plan out the sawmills that will cut the wood and all the measurements. And this is uh, called board and, someone help me, post and board. And they, everything fits within everything, and then it's just wooden dowels. There's no, there's no nails on, on the actual frame of it. Um, 12 days it takes to plan. They wake up at 4.45 in the morning, and by lunch, this massive barn is gonna be done. But I, I just, there's a few clips we'll show you. It's kind of funny sign. Earlier starts you get, the better it goes. We aim to be done with the raisins like at lunchtime. I'm still amazed that this community, if, if something like that happens, a lot of people show up. When there's a fire, the whole neighborhood's there, which I hope we don't lose. Everybody's there to help. It requires the work of many men to raise the heavy timber walls into place. Look at that. We had so many people. There was people lined up from here, clear out to where they ate. It was nail aprons to come in to help work. The Amish raise the walls of a timber frame barn today the same way they have done so for centuries, by hand. Men overseeing the work call out instructions in a dialect of German called Pennsylvania Dutch as the timbers are slowly and carefully lifted into place. To remain faithful to their ordinance or the set of unwritten rules they live by, the Amish may not willingly agree to be photographed. Some are more ambivalent than others about this rule. It is open to many interpretations. Some may ignore the camera if it is kept at a distance. A few believe that, even though a camera is present, as long as they are not knowingly part of the photography process, they have not violated the ordinance. Others make it clear that they do not approve of photography under any circumstance. I was out back and bringing in another load of hay. An Amish farmer describes the day his barn burned. Then uh, all at once I saw smoke and, well, it took a minute or so, you know, to really realize it's something that shouldn't, there's smoke that shouldn't be there. So I, my, we just had a five week old baby then. So my niece was here helping out with a, she was a hired girl. So she came up top of the hill and to get me and uh, that was when I first, and I didn't know was it was the house or the barn till she came up. 
And at that time, the children were, well, this was uh, 1.30, I think. The children were, I knew the children were, went to bed after lunch. So I didn't know it was the house or the barn. So, well, you know, it was a relief to see her here, it was the barn. There's, um, we're just taking snippets of it just so you, you can see it. The barn raising is simply an extension of group work that the Amish learn already in early childhood. Children work with each other and with their parents to plant a garden or milk the cows. Neighbors helping each other is a normal, frequent activity. Volunteers showing up at a barn raising need little oversight. They know from experience the rhythms that working together as a single unit requires. Only 10.30. The neighboring churches would bring in the noon meal. A few women may make enough pies for several hundred men. Others bake fresh bread. Local businesses are often eager to donate the meat and vegetables. Like uh, the churches my brothers and sisters are in, a lot of those help with maybe one church had cake or, you know, two churches had cake and a couple had pie. At this barn raising, the meal is served by 11 a.m. Working from before daybreak, the volunteers are hungry. The barn is already under cover and tables and benches can be set inside. Besides, by noon, many participants will start to drift away. Fewer men will be needed to finish the roof doors and windows. Benches normally used for church services, stored and transported in a specially built enclosed wagon, are set up inside the new barn. Amish worship services, including singing, are conducted in German. The second song sung in all Amish worship services is called the Loblied, or praise song. It begins with the words, O oh God, Father, we praise you and your goodness exalt. Yeah, so there you go. Now you don't have to visit Pennsylvania. That's what we look, that's what it all looks like. And I, I know that was um, a, long, a longer video to show, but it's just truly inspiring to see what a community can do when it comes together. I don't expect us to be Amish. Not trying to push that. But we need to love one another. We need to reach out to one another. And when someone's going through something, instead of letting them live in isolation, we need to come together because one day we might be going through something. And I just wanna encourage those who are in isolation, suffering alone, you don't have to. There's people in this church who would love to be with you, encourage you. You know, as a pastor, I thought one of the scariest things, oh man, I need the answers for everything. 
I kind of have the answer for anything. Well, first of all, Jesus is the answer for sure. And you don't need a self-help book. You got one right here. Um, but I noticed that the greatest healing happens when I just sit and listen. It's all you have to do is listen, cry with them, laugh with them, celebrate with them, point to, point to Jesus, and healing will begin. We need to stop hanging out with people who are only our age. We need to ask older men and older women to speak into our life. We need to, we need to mentor the young. You need to reach out to people younger than you and see how you can help them. Even if your life isn't figured out yet, you probably know a little bit more than them, and that's all you need to know. You might be in financial disarray, and you need help. There is nothing more freeing than admitting what you're going through. We need to mentor the young. We need to reach out to peers. If that's where you need to start, then start there. Reach out to people who are your age. But do not deny the other generations because they all have something for us. Jesus' own disciples were old and young, John being one of the youngest, the youngest. Psalm 33, one says this, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. There's a joy that I cannot express that comes when you know that you're in a community that loves you and accepts you and that you love and accept and you help work through things. There's, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the history of our church and I'll just end with this. Many of you know some of the obstacles as a church we've overcome. Um, this is years ago with our previous pastor, our founding pastor, um, and many of you might, how many of you have been coming for more than 10 years to our church? Oh, awesome. Wow. How many have not? It's like 50-50 or something. I, I think both, some have raised, both raised hands. But um, one of the beautiful things about this church is um, years ago, I don't, I don't know if it was 10, over 10 years ago with... Um, uh, Pastor Allen had told me the, the story, and I actually had heard it from where I was. But we had a, um, a financial crisis situation in our office, and we had found someone um, taking money that we didn't realize. And it was not due to a lack of diligence, because we actually had, and I read the books, of a third-party accounting firm auditing all of our books, and they approved Every quarter approved it. But this person was so good that they even fooled the auditing firm. Pastor Allen told me that one day he went to a conference for pastors and he went to pay for the hotel bill and the card was declined. Now, our church is not in debt and we um, are good stewards with our funds. 
And so this was a surprise to him. He actually was upset at American Express and called them, saying, we've been good customers for you. For And the uh, lady on the other line said, well, sir, you haven't paid your bill in six months. I thought, that, that's weird. He later had a dream where the Lord showed him something was up. Next morning, he goes in there and he says, hey, what's going on? The person printed the real books and said, I've been mismanaging the funds. And they had an emergency board meeting, an eldership meeting. This is family, so we're gonna talk about family stuff. Is that all right? It's too late now, I guess. <laughs> Maybe I should have prepared the board and eldership team for this, but it's not a, it's not a private matter. It, it, it was a public matter because it happened in a community church. And, and so uh, Pastor Allen called this board meeting and said, hey, I'm, here's my resignation letter because this was done under me. And they said, well, hold on a second. Well, let's figure out what's going on here. And um, he had told them what had happened. All the funds had been taken. And not only that, we were put in over $70,000 in debt. It's a lot of money. And there was discussion about what to do, get the police involved and get insurance companies involved because you can insure for things like this. And, and um, one of the board members said, or elders said, why don't we just forgive her? I said, what? Let's forgive her. We know if we start investigations and start pointing fingers, it's just gonna destroy people. Let's see what the power of forgiveness can do. And so they went before the church. They forgave this woman, brought her before the church, told of what had happened. Didn't know how we were gonna pay our bills or pay our staff or pay anything. And we obviously sent this person to rehab, showed them what true forgiveness was. We didn't put that person back in, in charge of the books though. There was other churches that heard about it, other ministers said, I wanna partner with this power of forgiveness and would wrote a $20,000 check, a $12,000 check. There was, our church came around, this person forgave them. And by the, I think it was by that week or by the end of the month, we were able to pay off all our debt. It's an amazing story. But that remnant is still here. That's what community looks like. And we've put, just to answer your questions that are in your head, we've already put extra measures in place so that this would not happen again. Even more stringent. But the reality is, is that that incident that is supposed to destroy a church made our church stronger. And everyone in the room said, if they can forgive that, they can forgive me. Why don't you stand? You were never meant to be alone. It's not a coincidence that the word alone has the word one in it. It literally means to be by yourself. Now, of course, if you've received Christ as your personal savior, you are truly never alone. God is with you. And I think the church has done a great job about 
telling you that. But even more importantly, you know, the Trinity has communion with its Trinity. The God, God, our God is a Trinitarian God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a reflection of the community we're supposed to have. We're supposed to be participating, not just in the divine, but also with each other. So I just wanna pray for us as a community. Is that all right? Jesus, I just, uh, I thank you that you modeled community for us, that you, you, you exemplified the temple to the table. You, you taught in the temple, they gathered at the temple, but they also gathered around the table. God, would you break off every religious framework that we've been carrying around that is not of you and Lord, would you break the stronghold that we're gonna be by ourselves and would you infill us with understanding and revelation and boldness and courage to live actually in community, to invite each other over each other's houses, to get our hands dirty with each other and get in the trenches with each other and confess our sins to one another and love one another and, and see past brokenness and see them how they, how you created them. God, would you help us? Live this crazy lifestyle, this selfless lifestyle of community. Just as the Amish gather around a member of the community and fix a problem that's not technically theirs within 12 days, would you give us the mindset? We'll first break the mindset of it. It's not my problem. It's not my job. Break that off of us. And may we see that we can contribute and help. Give us ideas. Give us wisdom. Holy Spirit, give us words of knowledge while we're just going about our day of who to re reach out to and how. And Lord, I thank you most of all for bringing everybody here for this beautiful, lovely, amazing church body. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. Um, we have, we'll have some ministry up here for you if you need prayer, if you're going through something. I encourage you to reach out to one another as well.